and welcome back to Range Anxiety, everyone's favourite podcast. I'm your host, Martin Donnan, and today I'm bringing you, yet again, 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes live from inside. We've actually swapped Teslas today. I'm out driving around. It's quite bumpy, as you can hear, probably, in the Model 3 performance. And, you know, while I'm in something that modern, I thought it might be time to pay a bit of homage to a few things from the past and most importantly I'm going to get on to the long awaited subject of Tuna Wars 4 the Ford boys it's your turn and you know by goodness you guys hadn't had a turn for a long long time until the BA series came along now before I just jump straight into the XR6 turbo forums and all of the shenanigans that occurred there and trust me there was plenty of them like an incredible amount of shenanigans actually uh, we need to sort of explain why this this market or this segment of the market it was from a tuner's perspective nowhere near as mature as the GM market, I mean, my goodness, ever since the VN, everyone had put a chip or a Memcow or a COP chip or a whatever in a Commodore, you know, but at the same time, there was precious little around for Fords. We had, um, you know, I think they call them J-chips J or something now, uh, modules that plug into the back of the EC4 and EC5 computer, but it was only the, the hardcore that did like the EF an EL series, you know, chip programs and tuned their cars because I remember really, really well, so I was big into both GM and Ford tuning at the time when all these cars were new and I reckon we probably did about 20 Holdens to every one Ford and Ford really didn't help themselves a lot either there, but, you know, there were things like that. AU Falcon. It's only in later years, it's only since, you know, the dawn of 2019 or 2020 that we realised that AU Falcons truly can do incredible things. And just like the cockroach that they're modelled on, styling-wise, they tend to live forever through nuclear wars even, quite possibly, and any other bad things that could happen. So the AU's become a bit of an instant um, anti-hero classic. But at the time, yeah, they weren't much good. The old Intec is a pretty, I mean, even though it was, it was it was more sophisticated than the Buick V6 we found in the Holden at the time, it just never had the cred. And that all changed very, very quickly when the BA series was announced. And there was there were a few details leaked in the press, but the big one, the big one was that there was going to be an engine known as the Barra. I mean, everyone knows the Barra now. Who doesn't know the Barra? At the time, a lot of people didn't, but being a, in, in the motoring game myself and knowing quite a few of the journalists and portraying to be one from time to time, I was getting tidbits of information from Ford about this Barra, which was an inline twin cam, four litre six, uh, you know, multi-valve per cylinder, and most importantly, it had a big Garrett turbocharger hanging off the side of it. I remember reading the press releases and they were talking about how it had this incredible new technology for turbocharged engines called the thermosiphon cooling effect, um, 
these days we just know it as a water-cooled turbo. It's nothing that special. But there was a lot of hoopla, and instantly, this engine, even before it was released, started to generate a little bit of fear in the LS1 camp. And, you know, rightly so, it should have. And if we turn the clock forward, like some, you know, 20 years or 18 years to the day, yeah, it well should have. But not a lot was known back then. And it was a hot topic of discussion on the LS1 forums and I'd covered this new Turbo Falcon that was coming. Sure, the V8 sounded pretty cool, the, the quad cam thing that was a bit of a hybrid, a truck bottom end, a Triton 5.4 bottom end crossed with the 4.6 style modular twin cam heads. It was a bit of a odd device. Turned out to be pretty good in the long run and pretty tunable, but it didn't have the fear factor that the Barra turbo engine did. And yeah, it was off discussed. And one day I was sitting there on the LS1 forums. I was I was no negative Nancy about it because I love turbocharged engines. I was playing with a lot of old GDRs, or they were quite newish GDRs at the time, and tuning them and you know, been doing work on Supras. I knew exactly what sort of punch you could expect out of something that was four liters, an iron block, a twin cam head with some dirty big garret hanging off the side of it. You know, the, the possibilities were pretty endless. So there I was, trolling around the LS1 forums, upsetting people, telling them that, you know, math tuning was no good. Look at that, we just passed a B-triple. For you, those of you in America, a B-triple is like a, a, a three-trailer truck. It's a road train. Amazing thing. And a barrel was almost good enough and made enough torque when it was tuned to pull one of those. However, back to trolling the LS1 forums, I noticed a new user came up popped up on the side and you could see the active users in the right hand screen in the right hand taskbar and this guy's name was Jeff Polites. Now Jeff Polites, the late Jeff Polites, um, was also the CEO of uh, Ford Australia at the time and I thought yeah here's some you know Holden Wally taking the piss here as we call it in Australia and imitating the boss of Ford. I bet you he's going to come out with something good like, you know, Blue Oval is for wankers or something good like that. But no, he just sat there and he was he was just looking too. I had a look at his profile and I thought, this is interesting. So I sent him a message. I said, hey, Jeff, if that's actually you, a private message, if that's actually you, my name's Martin Donnan. You know, he didn't know that from my handle at the time, which was Street Tuner. My name's Martin Donnan. I do a lot of work for car magazines. At the time, I was working with a magazine that some of you might remember called Zoom. And I'm really interested in getting hold of one of these Turbo Falcons in uh, a ute form. Would be really, really cool. Because we want to make a project car out of it. Project XR6 Turbo. And do some, you know, mods to it. Follow the progress. Drag race it. Dino it. Do all of that sort of stuff. Would you be interested in um, helping me out just by making sure I can get a car? Because the Utes at the time hadn't even come online and were in really, really, really short supply already. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was just hopeful. Five minutes later, ding, inbox, open it up. Hi there, Martin. Yes, indeed, I am Jeff Polites. Uh, happy to help you out with your project. Could you contact, I forget the lady's name, uh, the public relations media manager at 
Ford Motor Company in Victoria tomorrow and we will organise you one of the first utes off the production line, XR6 Turbos. I'm like, no, this has got to be a joke. So I rang a couple of mates of mine that were big in the in the um, scene at the time. This was like 8.30 on a, you know, Wednesday night or something. They're like, sure enough, yep, this woman, she is the PR lady at Ford and uh, yeah, that must be him. Okay, so pick up the phone I did. Next day, got onto them. Oh yes, Jeff mentioned you. We'd be more than happy to give you priority delivery and a substantial discount on a brand new XR6 Turbo. Just outline what you're going to do to it. So I outlined what we were going to do, and they said, oh, look, this is great. I said, well, do you want the involvement? Do you want to, you know, put your two cents into whatever we do with the car? No, not at all. Uh, have fun. We'll tell you when the car's ready. Within three months, I was told, or was it within two months, actually, your new XR6 Turbo will be available for pickup. It was from Jarvis Ford in Norwood down the road from me, and it was on a New Year's Eve. I reckon it was New Year's Eve 2002. I had a bright red manual XR6 turbo ute. You see, I didn't realize how weak the gearboxes were in them back then. I should have gone for an auto. Doesn't matter. And it was sitting there waiting for me. How unreal was that? And yeah, thanks to the LS1 forums, I scored myself a new Ford at a substantial discount. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, I got stuck into it. Put it on the dyno. I reckon it made a... Oh, see, again, you listeners may remember this better than me, but I reckon it made about 180 kilowatts at the wheels, maybe less, maybe 174 or 5 at the wheels, and it had something like 5 pounds of boost, and I thought, oh, oh yeah, we got to do something about this. Now, the Spanish Oak, I think it was called, was the, the Ford code name for the ECU. Couldn't be touched. No one could read or write it back then. So I just put a bleed valve on it. Yeah, that'd be good. Bleed valve away. And adjusted the boost up from five or six PSI to about eight. Got about halfway through a run. Boom, cut, stop. Hmm. Slightly less boost. Seven pounds. Boom, cut, stop. Anything over standard, actually. Boom, cut, stop. Useless. I couldn't put any boost in this thing. Absolutely useless. So I got back on to Jeff in a private message. And I said, hey Jeff, this is great. I've got the car. We're about to start riding it up. I've had it on the dyno, but we can't actually make this thing make any more power. I think they were rated at 240 kilowatts at the time, something like that. And uh, he came back to me and he said, uh, yeah, uh, I discussed this. He didn't come back straight away. It took a couple of days. He came back and he said, I discussed this with the technical department and yeah, we're not prepared to help you there. We're not prepared to assist in modifying the vehicle for you. If you can actually do it, good for you. However, we have a lot of protections in place. This computer is essentially untunable to all but the factory and you're just gonna have to be happy with what the car makes. I thought, damn, now if that's not waving a red rag to a ball, what is? So I set off on a little mission to crack these ECUs. And I actually didn't get too far. Over in Victoria at the time, there was the much respected company, APS, that were doing 
Unichip modifications on them, and they had, I think they called them their Phase 1 and Phase 2 and Phase 3 tuning packages that consisted of a whole heap of hardware. But their, their control system, the Unichip, which I think they eventually made plug and play for the Fords, yeah, they did, um, that tricked the boost control system so that it never saw that it was making any more boost. It made the there was a before, I think there was a before throttle and an after throttle um, boost pressure sensor on the on the barrel on the XR6 turbo, and they were able to full both of those at the same time to say that the car was making slightly less boost than it was, and then they were able to wind the boost up so the car thought it was making five pounds, and in reality it was making ten, and they started to get these things going. So. Not to be, uh, not to be outdone here. I did the same thing with. Oh, there's roadworks ahead, and I'm going to be stuck there for hours. So we'll head off through the beautiful Adelaide Hills wine region. Um, I used a combination of bleed valves that I mounted the pressure sensors on. So the before and after throttle pressure sensors. Both had an adapter underneath them now where they bolted on and both had screwdriver adjustable bleed valves on the things. So we could make them actually think they were running less boost and we could actually then trick the wastegate actuator or, or bleed off the actuator line like you would in any manually controlled turbocharger system and put some more boost into it. It was pretty horrific and it was pretty nasty but it worked. And it worked quite well. It worked well enough to the point that I believe, with my Ute, uh, another thing I found was that the Ford 114.3 um, PCD spacing on the wheels and back spacing was very, very similar to a Nissan GTR. So we were able to run some R32 GTR tires, uh, some drag radials. I reckon they were Nitos. That was that long ago. Back in the day, we were able to put some Nitos on the Falcon and we took this thing out to AIR, Adelaide International Raceway, and without much more ado, the, the two bleed valves got us into about 220 kilowatts at the wheels. And back then, I think it was late 2003, late 2003, we pumped out a 12.9 second quarter mile pass at 114 mile per hour. I was pretty proud of myself. We were the first Falcon and definitely the first Falcon manual XR6 Turbo in the 12s in the country. Yay, great stuff. Very proud of myself. And that just showed with very, very little power, but you know, at, at the time and just a, a real backyard modifications, how much these things had left up their sleeve. Now, while this was uh, happening, all this was going on, a mate of mine who was big into supercharging found a company in the US, because he's bringing in some parts from the US at the time, he found a company in the US called SCT, who were bringing a suction cap that's fallen off the dash. Right, now we have the suction mount affixed properly to the dash once more. We can talk about the tuning software that we found for the Spanish Oak or Black Oak ECUs in the BA and BA onwards. I reckon by the, the time 
we got onto this software. I reckon we're up to BF and well into BF indeed. However, not a lot was known about it. Um, and a company in America, Superchips Super Custom Tuning, better known as SCT, were very protective of, of you know, of, there were a couple of people in Australia courting them at the time. Interestingly enough, one of them was the people that also were doing the chips, the wiring things for them. And they wanted to know that whoever they chose, whoever the successful candidate was, um, had adequate technical support to be able to support the product in the field. And that's where I came into it. I got approached by one of the players and said, Martin, we, I need you. I need you for I need you for two weeks. And I need you to do a deal with me where you'll support this product and help us with this product in Australia with your background and knowledge to ensure that, you know, we get this deal and that when we do get the product, it's a, it's a success. So, yeah, look, absolutely. I was into anything and everything new. And, and two calibrators came across from the US, from SCT, Jerry and Dev, their names were. These guys were real proper calibrators in terms of, uh, you know, they were wearing pocket protectors and had thick sort of horn rim glasses and they, they were talking in, in uh, calibrator speak like, uh, yeah, look at this feed forward function on, on, on this variable and the constant of the RAM address here, Dev. And, you know, they were proper calibrators and, and I learned a lot from watching them. And so their job over here was to suck out the brains of every Falcon they could with their hardware and define tables, test some cars on the dyno to see how those tables worked and then put them, put those uh, programs into the database for their, their software known as Advantage. And once they're in the database, you'd be able to key in the processor code or, or the software ID of the vehicle and boof, up it would come. The software ID was written on the side of the ECU and the BAs, which was handily in the uh, engine compartment on the passenger's side. So that was all That was all really handy, actually. So, yeah, we soon learned straight away that identifying some of the tables and uh, getting the boost control working in the Falcon was a tough thing. <laughs> they, they used quite a complex PID, proportional integral derivative um, equation in there with some real sort of funny coarse and fine terms, which means that if you don't get the setup of the tables exactly right, you end up with something, a boost curve that resembles a demented roller coaster rather than something, you know, really cool that drives a car down the road smoothly. So Jerry and Dev went away after a couple of weeks. We showed them a bit of Australia. We went around. We spoke to some other dealers that were going to be buying this software. But unlike the Holden software that, you plugged in under the dash, HP tuners or EFI Live or LS1 Edit or whatever your poison of choice was back then. This relied on a box, so known as the X-Cal or X-Calibrator. Back then it was the X-Cal 1. It looked like, you know, like a little sort of parts box that you buy from an electronics store with a few LEDs on it that flashed and buzzed and whirred. But what you would do is you would buy the software, then for every car you tuned, you would buy the box. And the box, once you put a program into it and it flashed your car, would lock itself to that car. So that box belonged to that car and wouldn't flash any other car unless you uninstalled it and put that vehicle back to stock. Just get your head around that for a minute. So you had to stock the car out and then you could use it on another car. 
But there were, I think there were, um, oh, how many slots were there back then? I think, I think you could have three different programs for the XCAL one. So it automatically saved the stock file when it programmed the car. Cool. And then you can put three, what was it, four? I can't even remember now. It's been that long. Three custom tune files I'm going to go with. And remember, I was the Australian support. How bad is that? You know, that I can't even remember. But they didn't all have to come from the same tuner. Now, normally, if you have had your Holden tuned with HP tuners or whatever you were using, if another tuner tuned it, you overrode it and you lost the tune. With this uh, system with the XCAL box, you could go to three different tuners and have three different tunes put in the car. And unfortunately, this opened up Pandora's box of stupidity with Falcons and because it led Desperado tuners to make stupid promises that they couldn't keep and led to a lot of blowing up engines i mean you know i'm a great believer in that there's you know in the in the premise that there is only one way to tune an engine and that's the right way but no 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 there were special tuners that could do special things and ramp the boost hard a special way we're going to get onto this more in the next episode but this tuner one of them in particular he was just fantastic such a just such a lovely grubby guy um you know, he, he kind of always looked like he needed a wash. And he could promise things that, like, for example, even if the standard injectors, which were pretty small on the turbos, even if they were already at 100% duty cycle, which means, i.e., they're held open the whole time, he could double pulse them to allow double the fuel delivery. So out of 24-pound or 244, uh, 240cc-odd injectors, this guy was promising 500 horsepower out of six of them. Amazing stuff. He also had a trick of being able to tune around soft valve springs, which is the, the BAs in particular had a very soft valve spring that would cause valve float if you put over about 10 PSI boost into them. And once you pulled up after a dyno run or after a thrash down the road, the engine would idle like you'd just blow on three cylinders out of it chonka, 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 until eventually the lifters pump themselves back up but this guy could tune around that so all of a sudden there were guys i knew guys because these ford guys were all new to tuning god bless their little souls with their xr6 turbos and so they just went at it hard, like, oh, I'm going to buy a tune from you, then I'll buy a tune from you, and then I'll buy a tune from you. This one would be done on the dyno, this one would be done on the side of the road, and this, well, oh, it just goes on and on. You know, the third choice, I don't want to, we'll, we'll cover that off again later too. But then these tuners, because people all had the boxes themselves, they'd buy a box that belonged to the car, and them, these tuners would then start, tuning missions or tuning uh, traveling tuning circuses around australia where 10 or 15 people would be lined up to have their cars tuned and, and on the side of the road and more often than not they were blown up um for those aussies that are listening and some of you overseas if you're old enough we used to have the australian formula one grand prix in adelaide up until about i think it was 1995 i mean of course this this is well before this podcast is timed however 
the main straight, because it was a city circuit, street circuit, the main straight to Quetterville Terrace or Brabham Straight had a couple of little cheap-ass motels on it. And one of these travelling circus tuners used to hire a room there, book in 10 or 15 suckers with XR6 turbos that didn't know any better for the special magical source tunes. And he used to get them up and down Brabham Strait in the middle of peak hour traffic or, you know, on a, on a normal day where the speed limit is 60 kilometres an hour, which is about, you know, 38 mile per hour. And he just used to hold them flat up and down to Quetterville Terrace machine gun detonation coming out of these things as a poor old cheese stick conrods were getting hammered at boost that was just you know you wouldn't the amount of boost you would you, you would just not even give to your worst enemy you know because he had no idea of tuning a turbo engine he would put he would spike the boost at you know up from five or six psi to 24 psi at 3000 rpm and then have it taper off to 10 you know, at around 5,000 RPM, which is just stupid. I mean, it felt really good. And you could do big skids and break traction that way, but it also smashed a hell of a lot of engines. And I swear, I was living about five or six um, miles, eight kilometres away, or not even, actually less at the time. I swear, I could hear these this lunatic thrashing these people's cars up and down the street. I reckon I could hear the detonation from where I lived. And yeah, a lot of engines were lost this way with these travelling tuna circuses. Um, and yeah, the, the the whole XR6 turbo scene went from being one full of optimism and one full of hope and enjoyment into one full of dread very, very quickly. And yeah, that's how bullet holes ended up through people's windows that ran shops that had these... A lot of them didn't eat, you know. Some, I mean, one of these guys was working out the back of a carpet store. Um, you know, so, yeah, all of a sudden, it, it took it took the XR6 Turbo forums, even though they encouraged a bit of this stupidity in the first place, it soon helped weed out these awesomely bad tuners. So... We're going to get on to some of the promises in the next episode, right? We're going to cover off um, just some of the crazy shit that I've seen that's been done to these cars. And we'll also talk a bit more about um, future development and some of the some of the uh, arguments and banter that went on on the FordXR6Turbo.com forums. There is so much more to tell that I do have to split the Ford guys up, and I do believe I let them even have a class at the LS1 Drag Nationals one year. I mean, these guys weren't used to performance cars like the Holden guys, so they didn't really have much of a clue how to drag race, and back then, my, the game has moved on, and yes, there are several eight-second XR6 turbos now that, you know, takes a pretty stout um, nitrous-fed or highly turbocharged, supercharged LS1 to even get, or LS, you know, three... LSA to even remotely get close to. So yeah, we have so much more to talk about. So please remember, I need your feedback. I need you to send me feedback to dtech at senet.com.au. That's d-t-e-c-h at s-e-n-e-t dot com dot a-u. I need your feedback. Thank you for listening to Range Anxiety. There'll be another one of these real soon and we'll talk a lot, lot further about the crazy highwayman Ford Boys. Thanks for tuning in.